We have a we have new ones. Let's stand up and praise the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have a reason to praise him. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let's give him glory. Give him praise and honor. Amen. When I'm in my head, you're just getting started. When I hear the woe, you just walk through. When I face a mountain, you are the maker. So it's got to move. I'm out of faith, you're still, still faithful. When I'm at my worst, you are still good. And all of my questions, you are the answer. It all points to you. Because you're the God of the breakthrough. When I'm breaking down, you'll be working away through. When there's no way out, this one thing I know, you're still on your throne. So whatever I'm feeling, I still got a reason to praise, praise, praise. And out of our wrongs, you write our story, and out of the cross, Come rivers of grace And out of the grave Burst of revival No tomb can contain Cause you're the God of the breakthrough When I'm breaking down You'll be working way through When there's no way out This one thing I know You're still on your throne 
So whatever I'm feeling, I still got a reason to praise, praise, praise. I still got a reason to praise, praise, praise. Come around tribals, come to life, deserts to paradise, stones just start rolling away. When you come around, my heart starts to beat again, lungs stretch to breathe you in, souls just see rubbed into praise. When you come around tribals, come to life, deserts to paradise, stones just start rolling away. You come around my heart starts to beat again, lungs stretch to breathe you in, souls to see rubbed into praise. You're the God of the breakthrough. When I'm breaking down, you'll be working away through. When there's no way out, this one thing I know, you're still on your throne. Whatever I'm feeling, I still got a reason to praise, praise, praise. I still got a reason to praise, praise, praise. I still got a reason to When you come around tribals, they come to life, deserts to paradise, stones just start rolling away. When you come around, my heart starts to beat again, lungs stretch to breathe you in, souls just erupt into praise. When you come around tribals, come to life, deserts to paradise, Stones just start rolling away. When you come around, my heart starts to beat again. Lungs stretch to breathe you in. Souls just erupt into praise. When you come around, dry bones, it comes in life. Deserts to paradise. Stones just start rolling away. When you come around, my heart starts to beat again. Lungs stretch. To breathe you in, souls just erupt into praise. Cause you're the God of the breakthrough. When I'm breaking down, you'll be working way through. When there's no way out, this one thing I know, you're still on your throne. So whatever I'm feeling, I still got a reason to praise. Oh, you still got a reason to praise this morning. Amen. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures the generation. I know with you are your covenant. 
calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the oceans I need you now to do the same thing for I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the oceans I need you now to do the same thing for me Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you how I need you now Orak, Orak of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness Your faithfulness Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now How I need you Korak, Korak of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. With you all things are possible I'm calling on the God of David Who made a shepherd boy courageous I may not face Goliath But I've got my own giants Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Horak, Horak of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. You moved in power and you're moving power now. 
You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same. You move. You moved in power then. God move in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a savior then. You are a savior now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. For I call of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. You freed the captives. You freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touch the leopard. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same. You free. You free the captives. Then you're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touch the lepers. Then I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You freed the captives. Then you're healing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touch the lepers. Then I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, 
I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Oh, call out to him. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Oh, let's say right there. You might be in here this morning. You don't see the way out. You don't see the end of the, the road. You're just in a situation that is just mind-blowing. And you're getting hit from every different direction. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And when you can't see the way out, he has the way out already planned for you. And he's saying to trust you. Trust him. Just trust him. You might be in that just completely engulfed in it and you just don't see any light. You don't see any in it, and you're going through all the different things in your in your life, and all the reasoning. You know, as a guy, we or and a husband and a dad, we just we just try to figure things out. We're always like, man, what? I, 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 if I could just sit down and figure it out, I'm a logical person. I always got to know what's going on here and here. And if I do this and this, maybe I can get around it on this end. And if I could do this and this, and sometimes God is just saying, just trust me. Just trust me. I've had that happen before in my life where I got to a spot in my life and then it was just, I didn't know, there was no way out. It was a financial thing. It was, everything was crumbling. And it was like, God, you've always been faithful. I know that you're faithful by it, but I'm not just going to sit around. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to go through it and go through it. And God brought me to a spot where there was nothing that I can do. My, my thinking was always, since I was younger, since I first was saved, says, God, if you bring me the work, I'll do it. Bring me the work, I'll figure it out. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I get it, I'll get it done. And God was saying at that point in my life, and he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to take everything away to where you have to, because I wasn't trusting him. I was really just saying, bring me the work and I'll, I'll get it done. And he got to a point, and he said, you know what? I want all the glory. So you're still getting it done. I'm bringing where you're getting it. That's great. That's what we were supposed to work. But I got to a point in my life years ago in his head, and he took it all. Like there was no option. There was no way. The numbers wouldn't matter. If I worked until, and I didn't sleep for a week, and I just worked nonsense, there was no way I was going to get it done and all in time to pay what had to be paid. And God said, just trust me. So I said, I went back into it, and I just started working, just diligently working, not crazy, just working. And somehow at the end of that, it, mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Everything was paid. The money was there. And came out the other end. I can't tell you to this day, numbers, well, I'm a math person. I, I go through all, it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't have happened. There's no way. I couldn't even explain it. And God said, that's why I put you in that situation. So it's not always the enemy putting you in a situation. God might be saying, hey, I need to take this so you can really see what I can do. I always say there's no chance for a miracle until you're in a situation that requires a miracle and a miracle is something that you can't do God has to do it if you can do it it's not a miracle God has to do it he's the one that's bringing so if you're in here in this place right now and you're in that situation I don't know who you are I don't know what's going on you just begin to sing this song and say oh we're gonna sing it again you cry out to God I need you and you trust him his promises are yes and amen oh God my God I need you Oh, God, my God, I need you now. 
Promises are yes and amen. Oh, yeah. Fullness of eternal promise. Stirring in your sons and daughters. Earth revealing heaven's wonder. Spirit come, Spirit come. What you spoke is now unfolding. All your children shall behold it. 
dreams awakened in this moment. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Hear it now. Let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over. And hear it now. Let your glory fill this house. Now the world awaits your presence. And this power is within us. We will rise to be your witness. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Hear it now. Let your glory fill this house. Oh, pour it out. Let your love run over. Hear it now. Let your glory fill this house. Oh, pour it out. Let your love run over. And here and now, let your glory fill this house. Tongues of fire, it's a firing of the sun. One desire, Spirit come, Spirit come, speak revival, prophesy like it is done. One desire, Spirit come, Spirit come, tongues of fire, testifying of the sun. One desire. Spirit come, speak revival, prophesy like it is done, one desire. Spirit come, Spirit come, speak fire, testifying of the sun, one desire. Spirit come, Spirit come, speak revival. Let your love run over. Hear, Hear 
here and now let your glory fill this house pour it out let your love run over and here and now let your glory fill this house let our hearts continue burn for our king is soon returning as we hold to this assurance spirit come spirit come let our hearts continue burning For our King is soon returning As we hold to this assurance Spirit come, Spirit come, Spirit come, Spirit come, Pour it out, let your love run now let your glory fill this house pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house oh pour it out let your love run over and here and now let your glory fill this house, pour it out. Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Father, let your glory fill this house. Fill this house. Fill this house. Fill this house, Father, fill us up. Fill this house. You're the air. This you're the air that I breathe. You're the air that I breathe. Fill this house. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Father, we need you. We need you. We need you in this place. We need you in our hearts. We need you in our houses. We need you at our workplace. We need you at our schools. I need you more. I need you more. I don't have enough of you I know there's more I need you more I need you more 
saying about come and feel this place we know father that you can feel this place but not just this building but fill our hearts fill our bodies pressed down shaken together and running over god that when we leave this place that lord it will just pour out of us everyone that we come in contact with that they'll know that there's something different about you you can't be in the presence of God and something not change. You can't be in the presence of the King and something not change. Your perception, your, your thought pattern, whatever it is, something's going to change. You might, you might decide that you don't want it. You might decide that you don't want to be in His presence, but you're going to change. Everything that comes in contact with the King has to change. Oh, I need you more. Your thinking needs to change. Your actions need to change. In the presence of the King, in the presence of the King, oh, oh, oh. I need you more. I can't change on my own. You can't change on your own. But through the presence and the power of God, He makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. And all things are made new. You're new in Christ Jesus. Don't let the enemy tell you you're the same as you was yesterday. You don't have to give in to the temptation of yesterday. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, yeah. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. You have been made new. His word is true. Oh, yeah. Surrender to him. Surrender to him. Surrender to him. That's for somebody in this place. Surrender. You think you're going to just keep falling and keep falling. Hmm. But God said that he's here. 
and his mercies are new every morning. He's going to pick you up, dust you off, and set you on the right path. He gives you strength for tomorrow. He's a shelter in the time of need. He's your comforter. He's your deliverer. And he is your God. He's the very breath that you breathe. His mercies are so great. He gives you breath every morning. You've not gone too far. You've not gone too far. He's right there. Just as Peter was sinking when he was looking at the wind and the waves after he just walked on the water and he just began to sink because he looked around and saw the waves. What did he do? He cried out, Jesus, save me. Jesus didn't say, it's, oh, that was too, I told you not to look. I told you. No, he just reached down, grabbed him, and picked him up and brought him back to the boat. is my daily bread your very word was spoken to me this is the air this is the This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my day.
This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word was spoken to me. for you oh Lord and I, I I'm lost without you in time I'm desperate for you without you oh Lord and I, I I'm desperate for you You know, there was a moment in Jesus' ministry where the crowds were pressing around him and he saw people's motives were wrong and they wanted, they just, he saw something and he, and he said something that seemed outrageous to the people. And you guys have all heard the scripture. He said, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And as the story goes, you know, everybody leaves and, and he looks at Peter and he says, will you leave too? And Peter's response was remarkable. He said, to where will we go for you have the words of eternal life? And so I don't think, you know, today is, it's communion Sunday. And I don't think we do this out of religion or ritual. I think we do it out of remembrance. Amen. It's obedience to Christ's word, but it's remembrance for what he did. See, I believe that the most foundational thing we have going for us is that we remember what Christ did. That we can look back, that it doesn't matter what we're going through or what we're experiencing or, or what people say about us or what people are doing to us or what hardships we're, we're 
uh, encountering, none of that stuff has any weight compared to what he did. And I've said this before, and I asked God to, to, to make it real to me because I believe it. If I can be honest, I believe it with my mind, but I want to believe it with my heart that if Jesus didn't ever do one more thing for me, that he's done all that he ever needs to do. But think about that. What if Christ didn't do one more thing for us? Is it enough to remember what he did? So Paul in, in Corinthians, he says this. He says, for I have received from the Lord. And you guys can go ahead and hand out the, the communion. He said, for I have received from the Lord that which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take this. It is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so before we take the bread, I just want to take a minute just to search our hearts, just to repent before the Lord, just to ask him, because we don't want to take this in an unworthy manner. We don't want to take it lightly. We don't want to take it with the wrong motives. We don't want to, we just don't want to do it the wrong way. So let's take about 30 seconds and just ask the Lord to search our hearts, and then we'll partake in the bread together. Search our hearts, Lord. Lord, search our hearts. Is there anybody who hasn't been served? Everybody's good. Can we hold up the bread together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for the sacrifice of your body that was broken for us. Lord, in accordance to instructions from the scripture, we remember. Jesus, we thank you. We remember what you've done for us. We thank you that there's no remission for sins without your body being broken and your blood being poured out. We look at you, Jesus, and we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We love you, Lord. We can take the bread together. And he says in verse 25, he says, In this same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying this. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This 
do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the covenant that was released upon the earth to all who would profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you for the remission of our sins. We thank you, God, that you said, though our sins be red as scarlet, you will wash us and make us white as snow. Lord, you did not have to do what you did, but you did it willingly. And Lord, though we can never repay you for the sacrifice that you made, Father, we give you our lives. And we say thank you for your blood. Come on, just tell them that. Say thank you for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Come on, just one more minute. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you that you saved us from an eternity separated from you forever. We bless you, Jesus. We can take the cup together. Amen. Well, you guys, if y'all want to shake somebody's hand real quick, welcome somebody to the house of God in the name of the Lord. We love you guys. Welcome to Life Church. church. Good to see you this morning. I have a quick uh, announcement. Um, I was handed a note. It says uh, a white Kia uh, with parking lights on. I said the lights. Do what? They got it? They killed it. All right. Not sure that's a good thing to say in church, but you know, not we offering sacrifices that might be different but anyway <clears throat> praise God thank you appreciate that uh, well thank you for being obedient with your tithes and offerings you know the Bible says that the offerings are the Lord's and that you bring them into the house of the Lord and that God will take care of you when you put God first. Um, and and I, I've, I've stated this so many times, but I'll continue to say it. The tithe is the Lord's. I've had people come to me and say, well, I pay my tithe here. No, it's not your tithe. It is the Lord's tithe. And we are simply stewards or managers of that which God has given us. How many of you know everything you have God gave you? And somebody said, well, I'm a self-made person. Well, then you're not a believer because uh, you can't be self-made. God made you, and God gives the increase of everything that we do. And he does bless us, but we have to understand that he blesses us for the purpose of blessing and being used in his kingdom. So we have different ways of giving here at church. We don't pass a bucket or anything unless it's a special offering uh, for a guest. And... Um, <clears throat> But you can do it online, you can do it by the text to give, you can do it on the website, or you can do it with the app, and we thank you for that. And um, I just want to just say this, that in case we, 
if you designate money to missions, there's a way to do that on the app or online. It goes to missions. Every penny of it goes to missions. We don't take a cent of it. And, and um, we're thankful that this year we've had a, uh, an emphasis in emphasizing the different types of missions and programs and organizations that we've been, um, we support. And I appreciate so much how you have been faithful in supporting that. Uh, many of you gave to missions before. Some of you never did, but you are now. And God sees that. You know, the tithe is God's. But it, the offerings above that is where the blessings really come. I tell people this all the time. The Bible says that if we tithe, that we're no longer cursed. Because the Bible says if you, do, if you keep the Lord's tithe, then, then he can't bless you. And, and, and basically, you curse yourself and all that you have. I had a friend one time tell me this, and I didn't believe him until I went and found it in the Bible. He said, you can borrow the tithe, but the Lord charges 20% interest. That's what it says. The Bible says that. It really does. And uh, he said, you'd be better off going to the bank and getting a small loan for a small amount. Uh, this was back when interest rates were a little bit lower, too. And, uh, and I said, it really says that? And I looked it up, and it does. And... Um, but I said, one day the Lord said, it's not so much that my blessing comes. He said, that is intended for you always. But when you quit tithing and you keep that which belongs to me, then the windows of heaven close. But when you're obedient, the windows of heaven are open. And when you give in offerings, and the Bible all speaks of alms, and that's for the poor, that's for uh, for example, we have a benevolence fund. If you give to that, that's for individuals that uh, may, there may be a need for them and, and we have something to give to them. Uh, that's where the blessing really comes because you're giving above the mandated amount. And, and, uh, and that's what God commands us to do. So I thank you for just being faithful in that. I don't talk about that very much, but I thank you for being faithful in that. Well, last week, um, last week uh, I, 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 I did a teaching on, anti, on the spirit of anti-Semitism. And, and so I want to follow that up with this message. I taught it six years ago, and I want to follow up on this. And I've, I've added some things and changed some things. And actually, I'm working on three more messages along this line of what's going on in our world. Um, I'm just curious... Don't get me wrong, but how many of you have sensed a heightened uh, awareness of spiritual attack in the last few weeks? Look, hold your hands up. Now look around the room. Three-fourths or more. I, I got a text message last night from Brother Jason Beard. I didn't see it till this morning. He said, you've been on my mind all week long, you're at my heart all week long, are you okay? And so I just wrote back to him this morning just a number of things. And, um, and, and so during worship time as I was sitting there, I sat down and Holy Spirit made me aware. He said, when did these attacks begin on you? I'm talking about me, okay? And they, they began the very week 
that Hamas attacked Israel. And I made a statement last week that the spirit of anti-Semitism is a spiritual thing. It's, it, it, it is a spiritual working of Satan in the world. And I realized that a number of things that in my own personal life started the very day after that attack. And, um, and I, 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 I now, I, and I wrote Brother Jason and I said, it was this, 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 and when this happened, then I understood it was spiritual. But I didn't put the connection together that it, that it was, and why? Because I told you last week at the end of the message, I'm going to say it again now instead of the end of the, today. Satan hates God. Satan hates the Jews, God's chosen. And God, Satan hates the church. And so when there's, an, there's an, a flooding out of evil, it's not just confined necessarily to one area. It's, it's, it's in the spirit realm. And the Bible says we should not be ignorant concerning his ways, his schemings, his ways. But much of the church of the body of Christ is sound asleep to the ways of God, never mind of the ways of the devil. And so, but I, I, I was shocked by seeing how many of your hands went up. I'm just telling you, it's a spiritual thing and you, your awareness needs to now be quickened and heightened and you need to begin to pray even more diligently. And, and, uh, and, and, and you, cause God's on your side. I got one person heard me. I say, God is on your side. If you don't walk out of here with anything else, walk out of here with that. God is on your side. And he's not going to quit. He's not going to be overthrown. He's not going to be voted out. He's not going to be impeached. God is still on the throne. And nothing catches him by surprise. Remind yourself of that. Because when something comes out of the blue and, and hits you, and you go, where did that come from? God already knew. And you can rest in it, that he's got a purpose and he's got a plan. He can take that thing, the, what the enemy meant for harm. God will turn it to good. It's the time, this is the time we need to stir up these things and remind ourselves of these fundamental basic things in our lives. Because when the enemy is on attack, the church doesn't need to be on a defense. It needs to be on the offense. If you take an old sporting uh, adage, the best defense is good offense. <laughs> and, 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 and it needs, we need to turn the tide. And we do that in the name of Jesus. We do that in prayer. We do that praying the word. We did that Wednesday night. We gave an example of that, praying the word of God. But so anyway, let me, let me, let me teach, teach on this. Um, the generations of anti-Jewish hatred can trace its origin back to the Garden of Eden. Between Satan and Adam and Eve, I mentioned it last week, when they sinned against God, Adam was cursed by having to work by the sweat of his brow, the Bible says. Eve was cursed in that she would now have to bring forth child in pain, which meant she'd brought forth children before without pain. Otherwise, it's not a curse. 
if you've never experienced <clears throat> right? I mean, if you've always brought forth a child with pain, then what, what is the curse? And, and, uh, and somebody says, well, but I thought Cain was the firstborn. That's not what the Bible says. It said, for when Cain was born, she said, behold, the Lord hath given me a man-child. That means she's, prop she's already had a daughter, so when you want to figure out where Cain's wife came from, there's a thought. Okay? You have to remember, God created Adam and Eve and said, replenish uh, the earth. And so there was only one way to do it at that point. It wasn't until the law came that God established uh, marriage boundaries and all these kinds of things. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But when it came to Satan, the serpent, he told him that he would, from this point on, would crawl through the dust on his belly. Which, again, means that he used to walk. And uh, they have found fossils of serpents that have hind legs. Um, he would crawl. Um, his sin was that he wanted to be exalted above the throne of God. But then there was a prophetic word that God gave speaking to the serpent. And it's found in Genesis 3.15. And God says, And I will put enmity between you, speaking of the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And there's a lot I could say about that, but I don't want to get sidetracked too much. Throughout the Bible, though, we have accounts of Satan trying to disrupt the coming of the Messiah uh, because of that prophecy. In other words, he says there's going to come the seed of a woman who will be the Messiah, the deliverer, and he will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And he also speaks of the seed of Satan. And that's where the Antichrist will come from in the last days. And so the enemy, knowing that God has promised that through this creation of man and woman will come a seed, will come forth a person who will be a redeemer. He wants to destroy God's plan. And so we have examples in Genesis 6. We have the story of the Nephilim. We have in, in Balaam when he was called, he was paid to curse Israel, but every time he'd open his mouth, he'd bless them. And he said, that's all I can do is speak what God puts in my mouth. Even a false prophet, God was speaking to him. And, 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 um, but he says, I'll tell you how to defeat your enemy. He said, get your women to marry their men. What was the purpose of that? To pollute the bloodline. Uh, even in the New Testament, when Herod killed all the little boys um, uh, to and under in that region, um, when he realized he had been deceived by, by the Magi, um, what was he doing? He, it wasn't a political thing. It looked like it on the outside. But it was a spiritual thing and that Satan was trying to destroy the child. The, the, the Magi said they had seen his star. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? This was a spiritual thing. We see it time and again. We see it in the temptation in the wilderness. We can see it when he was, came to his own hometown and he had begun his ministry and they took him to a cliff to try and throw him off a cliff. There's just example after example after example where Satan used natural things to try and stop the fulfillment of the Messiah. 
um, uh, 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 bringing forth this plan of redemption that God had. And, and the Bible says that had Satan known, had, had the, the prince of this world known what the plan of God was, he would have never crucified the king of glory. He would have never, he would have never done it. But God... And the word who became flesh known as Jesus and the spirit of God hid these things from Satan. See, Satan is not all-knowing. Let's quit giving Satan too much credit. We say, oh, the devil did this and the devil did this and the devil did this. There's only one devil. There are demons, yes. And, there, you know, he has hordes of them. But there are more angels than there are demons. Listen, when you get focused on demons, your focus is the wrong way. I'm just telling you. Um, but Satan still has not stopped in trying to thwart the plan of God, okay? Even though Christ has come, he's died, he was in a tomb, he's been raised from the dead, his last attempt to kill the Jews is still at work. And I want to show you why. It's for this reason that there is such hatred for the Jewish people. Just this morning, I was so, to be honest, I was so angry. I, I opened up an article this morning written by a Jew here in the United States and putting all the blame of what's going on in the Middle East on Israel. And I said, because they don't know their history. They don't know the Bible. They don't know. I got, oh, I wanted to punch my iPad. Then I realized that wouldn't have been any good. It's old already, and, and I, I need it. And I just, I turned to my wife. I said, just, just, oh, and, and immediately I could think of three messages to, 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 to counter everything that that woman wrote. And then I flipped the thing over and there was an article by a Jew who said, it doesn't matter what the world says, we know what's going on in Israel and we know why it's happening. And boy, everything he said was what I would have said. And I, I sent I emailed that to myself. I said, I'm going to read this good when I get back after church. And I said, you know, and, 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 um, uh, but I'm seeing it. The, 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 this rise of anti-Semitism, I mentioned to you last week, since October 7th of, of last month, uh, in the United States alone, anti-Semitism has risen 333% in a month's time. And it's escalating. And it's, the reason is because people do not know the Bible, do not know the truth, do not know... Uh, actual historical facts and I think that God's people need to understand that and and so maybe I'll address that at some point but to understand why Satan is attempting right the, the behind the rise of anti-semitism listen it was already escalating to levels that had not been seen since World War II but this one event has escalated it around the world by exponential numbers. It was like somebody threw gasoline on a fire. Around the world it's happened. 
And, and if we don't understand that it's a spiritual thing, and it's more than just a spiritual thing, there is one part of it, aspect I mentioned last week that I was going to address this week, and it's directed toward the Jewish people. Why? Why? This individual this morning that wrote this other article says it's not because they're Jews. It's not about their religion. It's because they're occupiers. They're colonialists. This is, that is the biggest lie, and I can't even touch that this morning. But I want to show you something from the Bible, okay? And, and the reason that Satan hates the Jews and, and the, reason, the rise of anti-Semitism goes all the way back to the book of Matthew. Matthew wrote his book, his gospel, to the Jewish people. Each of the gospel writers had a different audience they were trying to reach. That's why some of the things are different. Uh, uh, some stories are not encapsulated in one gospel. You'll find another one. Um, but Matthew was writing to the Jews. That's why it starts off with the genealogy to prove who Jesus says he is the Jewish people needed to understand the genealogy of Christ. But from Matthew chapter 4, where Christ comes out of the wilderness and he's empowered by the Spirit of God, from Matthew 4 to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus travels around Israel and even the areas outside of Israel, and he's doing many miracles and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the purpose of the, of the of miracles that Jesus did was to authenticate his person and his message. Okay? That's what, that's what you need to understand. In other words, they were signs to the Jewish people of that day to force the nation of Israel to come to a decision regarding two things. And the first one was his person. He was the Messiah. The second thing was his message, the gospel of the kingdom. That's the thing we have to understand. And, and, and I, I just throw this in for a side tidbit. Think about this a little bit. There are a lot of um, contemporary preachers today who say that we, the church, are called to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I would... I would somewhat venture to argue with that. And the reason is, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. But Paul said, I've come to you preaching nothing but Christ crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. There are those who preach what are called kingdom theology. And the idea is that the church has to prepare the world, and until we have set up the kingdom of God on earth, Christ can't come back. Can I tell you, that is never going to happen until Christ comes back. Because it's in all of his glory that every eye shall see him, and he will cause every knee to bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. But when Jesus came, he came to define to the Jewish people that he was the Messiah. The second thing was that his message, his message was what? He said, I don't say anything, I don't do anything except that which I've heard from my father. He was, he was declaring. In fact, when they crucified him, what did they say? He claims to be the son of God. 
That was his message. Why? Because he was the Messiah. Now, among the miracles that Jesus did, there were three specific miracles that he did that caused an uproar among the religious leaders of that day and the people of that day. And there are three specific messages. One was the healing of a Jewish leper. That's interesting because when God gave the law, there are a hundred verses that God gave concerning what happens if a person is designated by a priest as having leprosy and then what to do if the person claims that they've been healed of leprosy and the process that they have to go through that whole nine yards. And from that time that God gave the law, there is not one instance in history of a Jewish person ever having leprosy. Okay? So why would God give rules concerning leprosy among the tribe of Israel if there was never any person that had leprosy? What was one of the first miracles that ever happened were the ten lepers that came to Jesus. Right? But that, anyway, they said, they, they said there's three... There's three things that will identify the Messiah that the rabbis of that time taught. And the first one would be that he will heal a Jewish leper. And go back and read it. And after Jesus healed them, he said, what did he tell them? He said, go and show yourselves to the priests that they may examine you according to the law. That was the first one. That stirred up. Hey, we've got, we've got one, one of three down. Right? Then there was the man, they said, a healing of a man who was born blind. That happened. And, and, and in fact, the disciples said, Who, whose fault was it? Was it his parents or was it his, this man's fault that he was born blind? And what did Jesus say? He said, it's, it's neither. He said, it's but that for the glory of God would be seen. Why? Because they taught. When the Messiah comes, he'll heal, he'll heal a man who's born blind. And then there was a third miracle, specific miracle, and that is that the Messiah will be able to cast out a demon of a person who is mute, or some translations of the Bible say dumb. That's not dumb like stupid. It's that they cannot speak, okay? And it's this last one I want to focus on, because up until now, Jesus has cast demons out of many people. And, and they didn't go crazy. They didn't freak out. I mean, they were, they were unnerved about it because he's doing miracles and he's delivering people and he's healing people, all this kind of stuff. But the Jewish method of an, for an exorcist to cast out a demon was that the, the rabbi or whoever it was would first have to speak to the person who was demon-possessed. And that demon would speak to that man's vocal cords, a person's vocal cords, and he would ask him, what is your name? And the demon would respond. And then only by knowing the name of the demon could, could the exorcist cast the demon out. Okay? Remember the, in Gadira, when Jesus came to the land of Gadira, and the demon-possessed man comes running to him. He says, why have you come? Have you come to, uh, to, you know, to torment us before our time? He says, no. What did Jesus say? What is your name? He said, our, my, our name is Legion, for we are many. What was Jesus doing? He was modeling the very way that they cast out demons in that day. 
And so, but, but, but that, was, that man could speak. But in, in Matthew 12, what happens is we come across an individual that can't speak. They cannot speak. And if you can't speak, then they can't cast the demon out because they can't get its name. And so the rabbi said, one only Messiah would be able to cast out a demon out of a man who's deaf or mute, I mean dumb or mute, okay? So Jesus has healed Jewish leper. He's healed a man who was born blind. And it comes down to this third one. And we pick it up in Matthew 12 where he demonstrates his authority over this demon. And it says, then was brought to him, unto him one possessed with a demon, blind and mute, and he healed him insomuch that the mute man spoke and saw. Now, watch verse 23. And it caused the people to begin to ask this question. All the multitudes were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? That is a messianic term that Jews would use, the son of David. Why? Because Messiah was to be a descendant of David. So they say, is this the son of David? In other words, they're saying among themselves, is this the Messiah? He's already healed a man who was blind from birth. He's already healed a Jewish leper. Now we see him cast demons out of a man who cannot even speak. Is this not the Messiah? That's what they're asking. So the people look to the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, and they're, they're asking them. And, and they're waiting for these religious leaders to conclude, is he the Messiah or not? And here's the quandary for the religious leaders. If he's not the, the Messiah, then they gotta figure out how they're gonna explain that he did what they said only Messiah could do. And if he is Messiah, then why aren't they following him? Talk about a catch-22 situation, right? I mean, now most of you have no idea what I'm saying when I say that. But anyway, <laughs> that's before your time. So the, the Pharisees in verse 24 opt for a different version. And here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard it, heard what? Heard what the people were asking. They said, this man does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. They refused to accept Jesus as Messiah because he didn't fit into their idea of what Messiah would say and do. But not only that, because of what his teachings had been prior to this, they had been very much against the religious leaders of that day, and they didn't want to lose their power. They didn't want to lose their position. And so the alternative explanation was to explain away his miracles, saying that he's, he's possessed, he does this by the prince of demons, the prince of Beelzebub. And then Jesus responds to them and says, okay, well, if I cast out demons by, by Beelzebub, who do you and your sons cast out demons by? He throws it back on them because he says, because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. 
And they know that to be truth. And Jesus pronounced judgment on that very generation of that day. And that became the official basis for the rejection of the Messiah claims of Messiahship by Jesus. And it was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That generation had committed the unpardonable sin. And what they had, what was it? It was blasphemy of the Spirit. Blasphemy of the Spirit is knowingly attributing what you know to be the work of God to the devil. It's knowingly attributing what you know to be the work of God to, to be the work of the devil. That is blasphemy of the Spirit. Jesus said, you can speak against the Father, you can speak against me, but you don't speak against the Holy Spirit. For, for that, there's no forgiveness. It's knowingly speaking. Look, my wife was raised in a denomination that spoke against the move of the Holy Spirit. They spoke against the gifts of the Spirit. And they said that speaking in tongues and all of that was of the devil. Well, they're ignorant. There's one thing about being ignorant and saying something against the Holy Spirit, but there's another thing knowing. They had preached for years, generations. When Messiah comes, he'll be able to identify him by these three things. The man does the three things, and they turn around and say, he does this by the prince of demons. And, and, and I'm telling you, this sin was judgment upon that generation jesus judged them he said in this moment you have been judged and it didn't come about for 40 years until 70 a.d when rome conquered jerusalem and burned the temple in fact when jesus made his triumphal entry before passover week before he was crucified in luke 19 Thousands of Jews cried out, Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. That too is a reflection back to Psalms 119. And it is a messianic greeting for the Messiah. And the Jewish masses may have, they, the people, many of them believed in him. But as a whole, the leadership of Israel cursed that generation by denying the messiahship of Christ. Now, understand something. If they had, the Bible says it's only because they rejected him. In fact, the, the, the scripture gives us a, a, a passage that tells us this, that he said, because of the rejection of the chief cornerstone, the message of the, gent, of the gospel goes to the Gentile world. The Jews rejected Christ. When he came the first time. And so in spite of what the masses may have said. By laying down palm branches and spreading out their clothes. And singing Messiah, you know, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of those things. That generation was cursed because of what the leadership had said. And there is one prerequisite for the return of Jesus Christ to planet earth. Now, let, let me make something clear here. The second coming of Christ 
is when Jesus literally, in flesh and bone, comes back to planet Earth. That is the second coming. The rapture of the church is a separate event. And it is the catching up of the church to be with him. The second coming is when he comes back. What was the first coming when he was born in a manger? When the word became flesh. So there, there is no prerequisite for the rapture of the church. In other words, it could happen any moment. Who was it? Brother Glenn, you, where are you at? Just told me this morning. He was witnessing to somebody in a, in a diner and said, do you know Jesus? And they said, no. And they said, well, he's coming back soon. They said, when? He said, oh, maybe five minutes. And they went, what? And, and somebody else that was nearby said, oh, yeah, he's coming again. I think it was a waitress or something there. And they, she took over. He kind of like tag team, let her finish the story. And, um, but he said, Jesus is coming again. And, and we need to understand something and that many Christians think that the last days are about the church. What we need to understand is that the tribulation period is more about the Jewish nation and God pulling them, turning them back towards him. And, and uh, those of you who sat through the Bible prophecy classes, and we've talked about Daniel's 70th week, you understand that maybe a little bit. But listen to me, any TV preacher or any other kind of preacher who tells you that they need your money so that they can preach the gospel so that Jesus comes back, that's a false teacher. They just want your money because there is nothing that is stopping Christ from coming back to get his church. Nothing. There is no prerequisite needed. But the gospel does need to be told, okay? But the only, there is a one prerequisite for the physical return of Jesus Christ, and it's found in four Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to go through them real quick. One's in Leviticus 26, 40 through 42. And it says, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, I want you to see that, the iniquity of their father, notice that it's not plural, it's one, singular. The word there is singular. The iniquity of their father, not the iniquities of their father. It says, with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, that they also, they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them. In other words, there's been a division. There's been a separation between the two of us. And I have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. This is important. Moses predicted how the Jews would be scattered all over the world at some point because of their disobedience to the revealed will of God. But then according to the New Testament, this happened because of their rejection of Jesus Christ and, and his message of the Messiah. And so the first half of Leviticus 26 has been fulfilled. 
But the, in verse 42, Moses states that God will remember his covenant with his people Israel and that he has every intention of giving them all the promises and blessings of the covenant that he made with Abraham. But there is, there is something that is required of them to receive that. And before they can do it, they need to confess their sin and they need to confess the sin of their forefathers. It's one specific thing. And that iniquity committed by their forefathers, their ancestors, needs to be confessed by a subsequent generation. And that is near the end of the tribulation period. The second verse of scripture is found in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. And the prophet begins to describe the blessings that God has in store for Israel during the Messianic kingdom, or what we know in the Bible in Revelation is the thousand-year rule of Christ on earth. It will be a time of tremendous blessing and restoration for the Jewish people when the kingdom is established by Messiah, Jesus Christ. However, their blessings are contingent upon verse 13. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 13, look what it says. Only acknowledge your iniquity. He was speaking to, to the Jews. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You've scattered your favors to the foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. So what he says is the remnant generation of the tribulation must acknowledge or confess one specific iniquity, the rejection of Messiahship but to Jesus Christ. Then in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14 are incredible. They're in uh, chronological order for us. And, and, and what God gave a prophetic revelation to the prophet Zechariah. And in, in chapter 13 speaks of the national cleansing of Israel from their sin. In other words, the Bible speaks of a nation being born in a day, or in our term, born again in a day, being regenerated in a day. There's a national regeneration that takes place. In chapter 14, it describes the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the establishment of his kingdom. So he speaks of a national cleansing, and then he speaks of a national regeneration, and then a, and that the Messiah comes back, 13 and 14. But there's something that must happen first, and it's found in Zechariah chapter 12. And it says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication that they may look on me whom they have pierced. Now, I put in parentheses the word unto because that's actually the correct translation in Hebrew. It would be look unto me. Um, when you look on something, for example, uh, I've heard people say this at a funeral and they, they said, don't they look good? Speaking of the one who's passed away. They're looking on them. Uh, uh, and, and that is the idea of looking down. But the word here is actually translated in Hebrews, unto. Well, that is a different picture, at least in my mind, because the psalmist declares, where does my help come from? For I look unto the hills. 
It's looking up. It's looking out. It's looking yonder. So he's saying here, I will pour out my spirit of grace and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and supplication, and they will look unto me whom they have pierced. And then it goes on and says, yes, they will mourn. And that word there, mourn, means wail, cry out, lament, beat their breast. I mean, they are desperately crying out to God. He said, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for their firstborn. So before there can be a national cleansing and before Messiah can come and set up his kingdom on earth, Israel must first look unto the one whom they have pierced and cry out to them. This, if you understand, towards the end of the period in Revelation and even what Jesus declared in, in Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, he told them in those days are going to be the worst days. In fact, he said, if they were not cut short, the very elect would not be saved. My friends, in the context of what Jesus was teaching, the elect there is not the church. You have to take it in context. And it's not that God cuts the day short. It's that God has a timetable, and when you reach it, it doesn't move. And so the events of that time, he said, if, in other words, if God didn't stop it, they would be destroyed, every one of them. You may not believe that, but go back and read it. Study it out. You'll see it. Why is that important? I'm going to show you why that, that is important. He said, if, if I didn't have a cutoff as to how far Satan can go, my very elect would be destroyed. Now, we just read that and think things are bad, but there's something hidden in that statement. And I'm going to show it to you. In Hosea, the last of the four Old Testament verses, Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, God says, this is God speaking through the prophet. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face, and in their affliction... They will earnestly seek me. The one who is speaking in this chapter is God himself. Now before a person can return to a place, they have to have left from a place. Come on now. You know, somebody calls you and said, well, I'm, I'm headed back home in a few minutes. You can't say you're headed home if you're home. Well, you can lie, you know. <laughs> but I mean, you're saying, I'll be home in 30 minutes. I'll be back in 30 minutes because you left, okay? God says in this verse of scripture, he's returning to his place. I will return to my place until they acknowledge their offense. Where is God's place? It's in heaven. Before God can come back, Back to heaven, go back to heaven, he had to leave heaven 
When did God leave heaven? When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. God left heaven at the incarnation of Jesus Christ who became person. And because of this specific offense committed against him, he returned to heaven on the ascension from the Mount of Olives, right? And the verse goes on to say, he will not come back to earth until the offense that caused him to return to heaven is acknowledged or confessed. What is the Jewish national offense committed against the person of Jesus Christ? Most Christians, and some Jews, but most Christians will say it was the killing of Jesus. I grew up hearing that. The Jews killed Jesus. My friends, Jesus did not die at the hands of Jewish people. Yes, it was they who brought him to Pilate. It was they who brought him to Herod. It was they who yelled out, crucify him. But it was not they who did that. Why is that important? Because if that was the reason, you'd have to understand that Jesus would have still had to come and die for the Gentiles, for you and me, who are not Jewish. So there was a purpose in his coming, but the actual killing was done by Gentiles, by the Romans. But it was therein, rejecting him and his message of messiahship that caused them to be cut off. And according to Hosea 5.15, only when they acknowledge their offense and they seek his face in their affliction. This is really interesting because the word affliction there means tribulation. In the mean, in the time of their tribulation, they will look unto him whom they have pierced. There is an awakening that they have crucified the Messiah and the nation, the leadership of the nation must confess their sin against God. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 to 39, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. What was their house? It was the temple. That was, came to fulfillment in 70 AD. He said, he said it will be left desolate and destroyed. In fact, the history says that they set it on fire and the gold that was in the temple literally melted between the rocks and ran out. That's how hot it was. He says, for I tell you again, or I tell you, you will not see me again. Notice this. Here's this again part. What's the again part? He left, he came, they rejected him. So he went back and he says, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the messianic greeting for the Messiah. 
The very thing that a few people understood when he came the first time and they laid down the palm branch. But the, but the religious leaders instead were conniving to kill the very one who came to save his people. He's still speaking of the Jewish leadership. And what he's saying to them is this, that Jesus Christ has returned to the Father and he will not come back until the Jewish leaders of a future generation acknowledge their sin. Because listen, the majority of Israel, like 97% or so, 95, 97% is secular. They are not religious. They're not religious. Very few of them are. The Orthodox Jews are, are despised by the majority of secular Israel. God is going to turn the hearts of his people and the leaders of his people. And that is the reason, the main reason for the tribulation period is to turn the heart of the Jewish people back to God. And just as the Jewish leaders once led the nation in rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah, they must someday lead the nation to the acceptance of Jesus Christ as, in, as Messiah. In fact, this explains Satan's war against the Jewish people all throughout history and throughout the scriptures. Satan knows that once Christ comes back as Messiah, his freedom ends. Now, we know what happens because we've read the end of the book, okay? When Christ comes back to earth, what happens? Satan is bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit with all of his demons. But at the end of it, he's let back out again to try and deceive the nations once again. But it is then that Christ destroys them, casts them into the lake of fire, and the great white throne judgment takes place, and the books are opened, the final judgment takes place, the earth is renovated by fire, and the eternal perfect state is reinstated, and the new Jerusalem comes back down to earth. And we, who are his people, will dwell in that place, and he will be our God, and we will be his people, and he will take away every tear every cry, every pain, every curse will be lifted. God is going to restore it all. But we need to understand something. Satan knows that too. And he knows what the book says. That there needs to be a Jewish nation and a Jewish leadership that is alive to confess the sin of their own lives and the sin of their forefathers. And so if he can destroy the Jewish race off the face of the earth, it cannot happen. And Satan cannot, Satan, Satan is free to continue doing what he's doing. Now, I've read the book. I cheated. No, I read the book. I know how it ends. There's one thing that Satan hasn't remembered, 
And that is that God seals his seal on 144,000 Jews. Not only that, he raises up two witnesses for three and a half years that preach the gospel. And there are those who will be saved in the tribulation period, and they will also be preaching the gospel. But his goal, notice it says this. It, 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 go back and read Matthew 24 and 25. It says, when Satan finds out he, that his kingdom, Babylon, has been destroyed, it says he doesn't turn his armies back to defend his homeland. He turns it against Israel. And the Bible says two-thirds of the inhabitants of the city of Israel are destroyed and killed. Why does he do that? Because he's trying his last effort to wipe out the Jews. So when you hear the rising up of people with anti-Semitism around the world, and they're trying to say, get rid of the Jews, kill all the Jews, wipe them off the face of the earth. That is a spirit of anti-Semitism, and it is Satan's strategy to try and prevent the return of Jesus Christ to earth. See, let me close with this. You need to understand there's a lot I could say, but time prevents me from doing it. But I think you've got the gist of this. Anti-Semitism is satanic. It's not just bad. It is evil. It is rooted in the hatred that Satan has towards God and towards God's people. Now, you're going you're gonna to begin to see something in the days ahead. Because once, if I can put it this way, please don't, somebody's going to say, oh, pastor, shouldn't have said that. Well, let me, let me rephrase it so I don't get in trouble. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you ain't putting it back. I was going to use another example, but I didn't want to get in trouble for saying genie. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? This has been unleashed. And seeds have been sown for the last decades in the hearts of young people all across this nation. And I'm going to speak to that one day soon. Because the enemy's using a good thing in, a, in our younger generation and turning it for evil. And we have to set the record straight on that. But anti-Semitism is rooted in Satan's hatred for God and for God's people. Now, initially I mean the Jews, but it's already being seen against those who are now being labeled Christian Zionist. And if you are a Christian and you believe that the Jewish nation has a special place in the heart of God and is a purpose. You have now been labeled Christian Zionist. And that same spirit of anti-Semitism is being unleashed against Christians. I've made several posts on Facebook about what's going on in the Middle East. I've tried to keep it middle of the road and I've already been blocked several times and I have the vitriol that has been spouted towards me by Christians saying, brother, your heart's not right. 
You've heard me, if you've been here or watched online, you've heard me say that my heart goes out to the people that, that are caught, the innocents, the ones who are innocent caught in this. But you have to understand that what's happening in Israel is not a political thing, a governmental thing, an economical thing. It is a spiritual battle for the very existence and soul of the people of Israel. And no one would allow... Uh, terrorists with it who want to extinguish you from the face of the earth nobody in here would say well as long as they stay on the other side of town that's okay come on now nobody in here would say that and what we need to realize is that whether anti-semitism is active or it's passive whether it's racial ethnic national, economic, political, religious, it is rooted in the hatred that Satan has for God, for God's plan, and for God's people. And so I'm going to throw the church in there because you're going to come on the front lines. You open your mouth and say, I'm standing with Israel. Get ready. It's coming. It's coming. But Israel must first confess its sin as a nation. And then they must plead for the return of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the, here's the application, overall application, and then we'll close with one scripture. When you see the rise and the increase in anti-Semitism, it's a road sign. Jesus is coming soon. Get ready. Remember the thing I told you a few weeks ago about road signs? I took them kids to Florida, and every time we got closer, the more signs, more signs, more signs, more signs. Well, I'm telling you, this is like a neon sign. It's blasting out there right now. And it points to the return of Jesus Christ. It points to the rapture of the church, and it reminds us to live in such a way because he is coming again. Now, I want to ask you a question, and you got to be honest with God. Is there any form of prejudice of any kind in your heart? Because that, too, is an antichrist spirit, and it doesn't belong in the body of Christ. Your language reveals your heart. Your words reveal your heart. Your attitudes reveal your heart. Jesus said it's not what goes in, but what comes out that defiles a person. And we have to watch how we say things. And if there's any prejudice... It doesn't belong in any believer's life. And the world is trying to push this concept that it's right because it's not right for anything. 
Jesus said, and the Gospels tell us, and even John's latter writings tell us, that if we say we love God, but we hate our brothers, then the love of God is not in us. That's, the, that's it. It's in concrete there, brothers, sisters. How we see people, how we act towards them, how we speak in our language. We have to rid that stuff out. John wrote in his letter, he said, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Can you say amen? amen? We're the children of God. But it has not appeared as yet what will be. For we know that when he appears, he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And verse 3, and everyone say everyone who's he writing to he's writing to believers he's writing to believers and everyone who has this hope fixed on him what hope that he's coming and that i'm looking for his coming and i'm ready for his coming i'm wanting his coming i'm longing for his coming Everyone who has this hope fixed on them purifies himself just as he is pure. Look, the preacher can preach it. We can all say, he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Well, maybe we need to get back to the Holy Ghost ironing board. Because the Holy Ghost wants to work out some of those wrinkles. And we cannot be prejudiced in our minds, in our vocabulary, in our attitudes. We cannot live with that in our lives. We need to pray as the psalmist prayed, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. We say, oh, I'm not wicked. If you're prejudiced, you are. That's wickedness. And you need to repent. The Bible says if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse, purge, purge. That's a different word, cleanse. Cleanse, we think, okay, cleanse today, tomorrow, cleanse again, tomorrow, cleanse again. That's, if that's our, your attitude, I'm thankful that when I sin, I have an advocate with a father I can go to. But my attitude is not, I'm going to ask for forgiveness so I can go do it again. That's not purging. Cleansing means to, here means to purge. It means to get rid of, cleanse it out, get every, every bit of it out. It doesn't do any good for a surgeon to operate on cancer and take out 90% of it and leave 10% in. You want him to purge it out of your body. You want it all out. Well, that's what the Holy Ghost wants to do because Jesus Christ is coming back again and he wants to prepare us for him. So I want us to pray right now. I want you to search your heart. I want you to let God search your heart and ask the Lord, Father, 
Am I holding animosity towards any individual who's different than me, different in skin color, different in race or ethnicity, different in financial status, different, I mean, I don't care what the difference in political leanings, different in whatever it is. God, if I'm holding animosity or hatred or anger or malice or, or whatever word we would come up with, God, purge it out of us. We ask you today, we repent of our sin, God. Cleanse us. Cleanse us. Holy Ghost, send your fire to cleanse us. Right now, right where you're at, ask the Holy Spirit to look behind the locked doors of your life, behind the closet doors where you've tried to hide things from God. And let them in. Let them, let them do a cleansing right now. And as he begins to show you things, some of you, you just need to, you need to change your, your words. I've had people come to me before years ago when I lived in South, South Louisiana and say, Pastor, you just don't understand. That's just the way we are. We're Cajuns. That's the way we talk. That's the way we act. And I said, no, you're not Cajuns anymore. I said, the Bible says the old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Quit making excuses for the way you behave. Quit making excuses for the way you talk. We're not careful. It's hard to break old habits. But if you ask Holy Spirit right now to quicken in the very moment you do it, he'll do it. He'll remind you. He'll say, there it is. There's one. You just did it. You just did it. And, and you repent. You repent and you mark it. Say, I, I endeavor to pursue to never say that again, do that again, think that again. That spirit of Antichrist has no place in my life. We cannot sing, Lord, I want more of you and allow the enemy to have a foothold and be comfortable with it. No, God, today we, we slam the door. I said, today we slam the door. I said, well, today we slam the door. We, we, we kick him out. We kick him out. Father, we, we ask for forgiveness for our sin, our prejudices, our mindsets, our attitudes. Father, forgive us. And today we renounce our past against that, that in that area, against with that sin. And God, we renounce it now in the name of Jesus Christ. And we declare that I am made whole. I am healed. Therefore, God, guard my heart, guard my mind, guard my mouth, guard my life. That it might beautify and glorify the name of Jesus. Pray this in your holy name. You've been sitting for a while. If you want, why don't you stand together? 
And can we just give God praise? Because I want you to know something. There's something else in this message. And that is simply this. That God is the God of second chances. Though he has the right to discard his people for what they have done, God made a promise to Abram. And because of that covenant, God is not a God that he would lie and go back on his word. And so God says his word is that if we confess our sins, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll forgive us. And the spirit of God inside of us will continue to work his work in our lives. He is the God of second chances. And if you are thankful for the second chance that God has given you in your life, would you just lift your hand and give God praise right now? Father, we bless you. And we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for the second chances, Lord God. We thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord God, of following you, of serving you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who now lives within us, Lord, who is there not just to give us goosebumps, but God, he's to rearrange the furnishings in our house. He's to search out our hearts and make intercession for us according to the Father, for the Father had the purpose in our lives. We thank you, God, that when we mess up and we sin, we can come before you through the name of Jesus and we can get forgiveness of that sin. But God, change our attitudes, change our heart that we no longer make excuse for those things, but that, God, we would hold our feet to the fire. We would hold ourselves to what your word says. We would live because you said those who have this hope in them purify themselves purify themselves that part is ours you convict us you give us the strength and the power to do it but you expect us to put into effect the change that needs to take place by what the spirit of God says to our lives thank you Lord I looked out across this place and I have seen people that God, you have done miraculous things in their life and you're continuing to do it. God, there's not one in here. There's not one of us in here that's arrived. But God, we're coming. We're pressing through in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. And amen. Give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you need prayer for anything, come and let us pray for you. We want to agree with you because God is the answer of prayers. And we'll pray with you about any situation because God is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Come, we'll pray for you. Otherwise, come back Wednesday night and expect great things from God.